together. Because integrity, a sense of integrity, personal integrity, is often what brings people to this tradition in the first place, to progressive religious traditions and to humanist traditions kind of writ large, and certainly here to Wes. I think we see lots of folks that grew up in a particular religious community, and even if that community is still a place of of warmth and love for them, and and it isn't for all of us, of course, for some of us it was a a place that that really um, held uh, sadness or or trauma in some cases, but even when it's a place that, that we continue to love, folks find that they just can't stay in that community with integrity anymore. I hear that so often because they no longer believe what they believed when they were younger or no longer believe it in the same way. Now, people carry integrity differently, of course, and I want to to make sure to say that there are folks within those religious traditions that we might have come out of that um, that don't believe in the same way but find a different kind of integrity in staying and believing differently because they still continue to find meaning. That's not sort of living out of integrity. I think that sense of of what it means to live with integrity is such a personal experience and so kind of um, uh, a personal feeling that that we own ourselves. And the same is true as we try to navigate the holidays with integrity, I think, and specifically thinking about humanists navigating the holidays. We navigate them all in our own very personal ways. I think in this room there are just as many um, ideas about the holidays as there are people, I imagine. Some of us go all out. Every cookie from our childhood is baked and rebaked just so, exactly right. Apparently, actually... um, we do. I guess I could say universally, perhaps, we like cookies here after the uh, the uh, cookie walk celebration yesterday. But so some of us bring out the, the family crash from our childhood or the menorah passed down over generations and display it proudly. Some of us make a clean break from all of the holiday traditions that we grew up with or that swirl around us. We have perhaps the Festivus pole as the only decoration. You guys remember Festivus, right, from the Seinfeld episode. Festivus, the holiday for the rest of us. Um, I particularly like the rhyming myself. And you may be aware of some um, controversy around a Festivus pole in a southern state right now, and um, uh, which has been put up right next to a nativity Seen anyway. Good luck with them having that conversation. <clears throat> uh, talk about awkward. Uh, and then many of us find ourselves somewhere in between as we try to figure out what we want to do with the holidays, what we want the holidays to mean for us, trying to decide whether to put up the old crash or to bring down the menorah, telling the stories of the holiday season to our children with some sort of mixture of joy, sorrow, and maybe just confusion. You know, we'll talk about that when you're older, or maybe you'll figure it out in Sunday school. I'm not sure. Some of us have trouble just figuring out whether this year we want the snowman wrapping paper, the holly wrapping paper, or the Santa wrapping paper. You know, what deep theological statement will we be making, depending on which one we choose when we go to Rite Aid on the 24th of December? That might just be me. 
I should mention, too, that the holidays that we are navigating, the ones that we're trying to figure out through this season, are different, of course, for each of us. We grew up in different traditions. Some of those traditions don't have a winter holiday at all, don't have anything in particular that feels wintry. Although here in America, all of us have to navigate Christmas to some extent, at least the sort of hallmark version of Christmas, which is so ubiquitous in our culture and everywhere you go. And indeed, some of the actual Christian version of Christmas as well, as presumably the Festivus poll creators down, uh, down south remembered when they, um, when they put their Festivus poll up next to the nativity scene. They were trying to navigate a Christian form of Christmas in the public square. I know that when I'm trying to figure out the holidays for myself, part of what helps me is to figure out what is my own tradition and when I'm a kind of tourist or a guest in someone else's tradition. I remember going uh, last year to the, um, the, see the lights at the Mormon temple. I don't know if you've ever done that, but there's a visitor center near the big Mormon temple off 495, and they have gorgeous lights displays outside. And then inside, there's a whole um, uh, nativity scenes from around the world. They're donated for the, for the season from embassies all over D.C. Just beautiful and huge Christmas trees. And so I was walking around with my daughters and my little one in her stroller, and um, and looking at all these beautiful things, and we celebrate Christmas at home, but it's not really that kind of Christmas. And um, so I was just sort of thinking through all of that, and coming toward me, I saw one of the staff members at um, the Jewish preschool where my daughter goes to school. And um, we both sort of had this moment of, um, oh, you, you're here too? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. Is it okay with you? Is it okay that I'm here? I guess it's okay I'm here. If you're here, I don't really know. And... Um, <laughs> And said hello, and then saw each other the next day in the hall, and I think we both kind of said, oh, wasn't that funny to see you there? It was funny, wasn't it? I love the lights. They're beautiful. (laughs) I have a little bit of that tourist and at-home piece in my own home as well. I I love to decorate for the holidays, and so the mantle has, um, has sort of things placed all around it, and one side of the mantle is the part of the Christmas tradition that feels like it's really mine. There's a a little statue of two little girls wrapping a present together, and there's a nutcracker, a, a, a favorite holiday tradition for me and in my family now. And then on the other side of them, there's a mirror in the middle, just sort of deeply symbolic somehow as I look into myself. I don't know. And then on the other side of the mantle is, um, is the crash that my mother-in-law gave us and, um, and a Polish, um, uh, a sort of Polish medallion that says Merry Christmas in Polish with a cross on it. That's the tourist side of Christmas in my home, the honoring of what was and isn't for our family anymore, but that we still somehow want to have present as guests. I've thought about it a lot, too, actually, as I've participated in the life of that Jewish preschool that my daughter goes to. We ended up there because we just loved the preschool, and then one of the bonuses has been that we have been such welcome guests into the traditions of the temple itself. And so we've gone to the Hanukkah party, and we've spun a dreidel. In fact, over Thanksgiving, we went to the pottery store, and of course, my little girl wanted to to paint a dreidel, that was her choice. Um, and then I don't really know what to do with the dreidel. You know, I don't know what the things mean around the dreidel, but it doesn't matter because she did a terrible job painting it, and so you can't see them. <laughs> She's two, so it's okay. Um, 
But I was thinking about how easy it is to feel welcomed in as a guest at the, at the Hanukkah party at the temple. How easy it is to feel welcome as a guest when it's not all of society inviting you. You know, I think it feels different sometimes when, we, when we're invited into traditions that don't feel as though they've sort of taken over the culture. And I think for many of us, that's how we feel about Christmas celebrations sometimes, particularly the ones that are really linked to the Christian story. We feel as though it's all of America inviting us in to be a guest in this Christmas celebration, and it's different somehow. And I think brings with it an experience then of marginalization, or can at least. The concept, though, of guest and host, of being welcome in each other's traditions and welcoming people into our own, has been important to me this season. There are, of course, the the Christmas wars, which we get every year now. It's like right after Thanksgiving or a little bit before, we have to start figuring out who loves Christmas the most and is mean to Christmas the most and, you know, have a big fight about it. And um, I don't actually watch network news at all, so mostly I miss the fight. But there was a great chart going around Facebook, which, which I loved. I don't know if you've seen it. At the top, it says, if someone says, it's like a flow chart so that you can figure out what to say during the holiday season. If someone says Merry Christmas and you are Christian, you do one thing. If you are not Christian, you do perhaps something else. And it goes through all the way, you know, if someone says Happy Hanukkah and you are Jewish or not Jewish. If someone says Happy Holidays and you are religious or not religious, etc., etc. And um, and the best thing about the flowchart is it has all of these options and then all these things you can be. And then, of course, it all comes down to thank you. Thank you. You too. (laughs) There's something in that about, first of all, it's easy, right? I can manage that. But there's something in it too about spaciousness, I think, about graciousness and about letting meaning be different, about letting it really be owned by the person who comes to you. You know, thank you. You too. Whatever it is that you're meaning to say to me by that, it seems like it's probably nice. So thank you. You too. You might remember the story, the children's story that we shared last week about Elijah's angel, about this little boy, Michael, who came from a Jewish family and who was given the present of a wood-carved angel by his friend Elijah, a Christian woodcarver. And how Michael struggled with the idea of of whether he could have this angel in his home, uh, what it meant to have a Christmas angel in a Jewish home. And I just loved what his parents said to him in that story, that the angel doesn't have to mean the same thing for you, Michael, that it does for Elijah, that it doesn't have to mean the same thing. So I've been thinking about that piece as well, about meaning And who gets to pick the meaning for the angels we have in our homes? And then, of course, there's all sorts of layers of tradition that can be peeled back. You know, you think about Christmas trees. I know I've said this before. I always find it ironic that people fight so hard um, to have Christmas honored by putting a Christmas tree up in the town square, since a Christmas tree is um, a 
a Druidic uh, custom um, and uh, has really was way predated Christmas. And so many of us find some, some way to engage with the holidays there, to notice the things that about the sort of Christmas celebration that predate Christianity, to notice the way that solstice and the celebration of light and warmth in winter, that all of that imagery comes all around the world. There's a universal need to celebrate, I think. We heard that in our opening words this morning and in the words that began our winter festival last night, a reference to all of these different traditions that celebrate the return of light and warmth. And winter festival, of course, is is one way that many of us here in this community find a way to celebrate the holidays, holidays with integrity. I think, I think one reason that we love Winter Festival so much, and it was fabulous last night. I, you know, Mary thanked all of the people that put it together, but I want to make sure we also thank Mary, under whose leadership all of those people came together to create that beautiful festival. And, and so, you know, we, we love it. It's beautiful and the children and the candles and all of those pieces. But I think part of what makes it so special for us is that it's a relief. It's a relief to get to be together celebrating the holidays without the need for a whole lot of translation. You know, to be together and not have to have the filter of creating my own meaning and figuring out what Elijah meant by the angel and Michael means by the angel and I mean by the angel and I'm not even sure about angels. You know, to just be together in a way that feels wholly ours. We don't have to be spacious or gracious with other traditions. We can celebrate our own. And that I think it's important to have places like that during the holiday season finding places where we can just be ourselves. We talked about that a little bit last week as well, actually, with families and a wonderful comment during community sharing about found families, finding places where we can be in integrity with ourselves with no work at all. But I wonder if really being ourselves can include stretching ourselves for that spaciousness, at least at times. If we can work toward a place where we're able to experience and even enjoy traditions that really aren't our own. Now, lest you think that I am being too kind of woo-woo and kumbaya in this moment, I will cite a great list online from the American Humanist Association, a group that is not actually frequently accused of being too kumbaya, I will just say. This is a list you can find online by Valerie Tarico, who's the author of Trusting Doubt, which is a book about her experience with evangelical Christianity. And and it's, it's a list for humanists to interact with the holidays. And she has a couple of really great different things. She's a psychologist by training different ways to, um, to interact. One of them is to remind yourself that our celebrations from December 21st through January 1st are not all Christian in origin. And then she talks about claiming what fits, you know, that idea of pulling out the pieces that really resonate and have meaning for us. One of my favorites in this list, though, is to discover the magical, mystical origins of the, Christians, of the Christmas story. 
And she talks about lots of birth stories in different traditions and the way that so many themes run through those birth stories just the way they run through the Christmas story. I think the reason I like that part of the list especially is that for me, part of what has made navigating the holidays meaningful has been figuring out kind of some knowledge about the traditions themselves. Not just figuring out the pieces of Christmas that are pre-Christian, but figuring out sort of the Christian pieces of Christmas that work for me. Finding meaning everywhere I can get it, pulling it out and learning about it. Without the ability to do that, I think it can feel when someone kind of invites us into a holiday season that it really is, you know, their meaning they're inviting us into. And so the invitation gets to be that sort of aggressive, Merry Christmas! It's good for you! (laughs) So for me, bringing meaning to Christmas means connecting with the part of the Christian story that appeals to me, the idea of welcome and love, inclusion, the birth of hope in the world, and the idea that people across history and around the world in different places have been telling that same story. It's changed over millennia, the story, for sure. There was a lot of changing early on, and then it's kind of settled in. But people have been telling that story over and over again. That's true for me with Hanukkah as well. The thing that I found most meaningful about the celebration at that Jewish preschool was not the latkes or the gelt, although I think for my girls, the little chocolate, you know, you're given chocolate candy by your preschool teachers. It's a, it's a good day. <laughs> but it's the idea of the story being told again, the same story told every year by different people all around the world, remembering and honoring that story. For me, it brings a connection to people across time and around the globe, people in my own circles of family and friends, people in this congregation who celebrate and grew up celebrating all sorts of different things. Now, of course, the retelling of old stories is only a source of of good connection to people when those stories haven't been sort of too far poisoned. When, when it's not that the stories bring up old experiences of trauma or hurt that happened around them or because of them in our lives. And so I, I acknowledge the deep sadness and grief that people have this season. You know, that idea of, of the blue Christmas season is a real one, I think. Very real for many of us. And it's just fine to be there in that moment And to look for quiet, as Mary offered us in the meditation this morning. To look for ways to go inside. But as we become ready to look for a different way to be in this season, it comes back, I think, to that idea of finding our own meaning. Being the meaning makers for the season. Claiming kind of our our possibility and responsibility to create that meaning in our lives. In our story last week, Michael's parents helped him discover the meaning of Elijah's angel. They told him that they thought that the angel meant friendship. It was an angel of friendship, and that was just fine to have in a Jewish home. In a progressive religious and philosophical tradition, we make and find our own meaning together 
at the holidays and any time. It's what makes it a little harder, I think, to be part of a religion or a philosophy like this one. There are no quick answers. You know, welcome, here you are. Now, please, make meaning in your lives. Good luck. But that's what integrity asks of us, I think. Through the holidays and all year, to approach to approach all the aspects of our lives with thoughtfulness and care, to know about that responsibility and that possibility that we have. And luckily, we have guides. Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, who founded the movement in the 19th century, was deeply gifted in meaning-making and meaning-recreation. We find him in his writing and in his speeches and his platforms in those days, again and again, interpreting old traditions and old forms in a way to make them relevant. In fact, I would say that he interpreted or reinterpreted religion itself to make it relevant when he founded ethical culture. And so I'd like to share this passage from 1884 in which Adler talks about the idea of the winter solstice, this worldwide celebration, right? Although I do want to note that it is celebrated worldwide at two different times. We have cousins who live in Australia, and they are not celebrating the winter solstice right now. But he takes that idea of the winter solstice and connects it to his own most deeply felt idea, the moral life of the individual and the shared moral life of humanity. Here's what he said. The festival of the winter solstice was originally designed to celebrate the indestructible life of nature. The higher thought today is that the moral life of the world, which appears so far as we know in human beings only, little addendum that we might, you know, interdependent web, but the moral life of the world is also indestructible, that after every defeat it rises to new victory, that after every obscuration, it shines forth with new brightness. What is the symbol, he goes on, to which all shall express the thoughts that we in ethical culture would connect with the festival of the winter solstice? Is it the Christmas tree or the old Yule tree, which prior to the Christmas tree symbolized the rekindling of the darkened light of the sun? But it expresses only the physical side of the festival, the fact of the evergreen life of external nature. For the higher, the spiritual side, it does not stand. The only symbol, Adler concludes, that can be adequate for us is the child. The child not merely as it plays around the tree, not as it enjoys its gifts, not in relation to its parents who take great pleasure in its happiness, but the child apart from all these connections, the child as the vehicle of a new moral life, and therefore the type of the ever-recurring renewal of the moral life, the child as the promise and the pledge of the whole unspeakable future. The child as the vehicle of a new moral life. Now, it's kind of a big burden to lay on our kids. Guess what, honey? This year, Santa brought you a coloring book and the responsibility for shaping the human story for years to come. (laughs) But in truth, we are all that child. We all have that responsibility, really. And that promise 
and that pledge. At their heart, the stories of the winter holidays, and frankly, the stories of almost any holiday, are stories about new possibility and hope. The stories of Christmas and Hanukkah, certainly the stories of our own winter festival here at Wes. And so my wish for you this season, my wish for the child that is you, is that you hear the right story this year, that you find the right story, or perhaps that you create the right story in the stories that are offered to you, the one that you need to hear, whatever kind of wrapping paper is wrapped around it.